Welcome to the Go Hard Chick podcast. This is your host, Crystal Holmes. And today I am thrilled to bring you our first episode of season two of the Go Hard Chick podcast. This is episode 21, ladies, of 2021. Today I am joined by Dr. Sadrina Calder, and we're going to discuss improving the health of Black women which is super important because it is Black History Month, but it's a conversation we need to continue to have every month of the year. Now, Go Hard Chicks, if you are a listener and you noticed, I did take a a bit of a hiatus. And I'm just going to share that I was exhausted. I was burning the candle on both ends, if you will. As many of you know, my day job, I am an attorney. So trying to practice law, be a mom, be a partner, and do all the things that, you know, life throws your way, I was tired. And I needed to get refreshed and refocused. But I'm back. And I'm committed to continue to bring you all quality episodes, and guests. To that end, I need your help. Please take some time to leave an Apple podcast or Spotify rating and review. Ladies, it really, really helps the podcast grow and it helps me to attract super guests like Dr. Calder and some of the other fabulous Go Hard Chick guests we've had on the podcast. Now, Without further ado, I want to tell you a little bit more about Dr. Calder and today's episode. Dr. Calder is also known as the Fit Doc. She is a public health physician and fitness pro based out of Nashville, Tennessee. In this episode, we discuss several issues Black women face in maintaining optimal health, including racism and implicit bias in the medical profession, We discuss the chronic diseases that tend to disproportionately affect Black women. And we discuss not only how diet and exercise can play a key role in maintaining our health, but we discuss the importance of health literacy and the need for women to be advocates for themselves when managing their health. So I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Sadrina Calder today. So go hard, chicks. Let's welcome to the Go Hard Chick podcast, Dr. Sadrina Calder. Welcome to the Go Hard Chick podcast, Dr. Calder. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing fabulous, and I'm really excited that you joined me today because I've been wanting to talk just specifically about Black women and their health. And what we can do preventative-wise, just the, the whole gamut. And it's even more important. Well, I won't say more important, but it's Black History Month. So, you know, it's very fitting. It's a fitting discussion to have. But I just, I'm, I'm really excited to have you here. Now, let me just stop talking so I can let you introduce yourself to the listeners. Okay. Well, my name is Dr. Sidrina Calder. I am a board-certified preventive medicine doctor. Um, I also have a background in general surgery as well. But um, what led me to preventive medicine was my passion for 
um, health and wellness, especially health and wellness education, teaching others how to improve their health, especially within the Black uh, community, Black women in particular. So that's kind of how I fell into preventive medicine. I, I realized that I had a desire to want to go out and try to improve the health of our community. Um, so that is pretty much um, what led me to specializing in this field that I'm in. Uh, right now, I actually provide primary care for the underserved in Tennessee. So a lot of my patients do not have insurance. Um, and those that do um, are probably, uh, most of them are, it's Medicaid. So not many people have private insurance. So that is the patient population I serve. That's the patient population I'm most passionate about serving. I enjoy serving those who otherwise um, tend to be more of the forgotten people and those that we don't really pay as much attention to. But those are the ones that need more, more the most attention and they, they need special care, uh, special treatment, I would even say. So uh, that is that's what I do right now. Okay, great. Now I did a little reading and I learned that you are a professional bodybuilder as well. Yeah, that's correct. So I am an IFBB pro figure competitor. I have not competed in since 2019, you know, COVID hit and 2020 pretty much was a wash. Uh, but yes, I, I did fall into competing back in 2014 and that is actually what kind of brought me uh, to realize that I had a passion for this, you know, health and wellness and, and teaching people about nutrition and weight management and things like that. Bodybuilding actually is what what brought me to that point and that discovery. So um, that is really how I got into preventive medicine in the first place was was because of bodybuilding. So, um, yeah, so. Yeah, we kind of share that in, in common. That's how I kind of got interested in health and wellness too. Just opened so many doors and ideas. Yes. So. Awesome. Yes. All right. So let's jump into this. Black women's health. I mean, there's so many diseases that affect us and affect us disproportionately. Just so many issues in the in the medical system concerning black women. It's it's sometimes I think about it and it's overwhelming. But I'm just, I'm wondering, like, what, I mean, I guess we should be concerned about all diseases, but what are some of the main diseases that you see affecting us as a community, as of women, and how do we address these? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a number of issues, I think, that we're seeing within, uh, with Black women in terms of their health. Um, you can look at issues concerning chronic diseases. So, for example, diabetes, heart disease, um, high blood pressure. Those are all chronic ish diseases that you see at higher rates within uh, the black community and in black women. Um, black women have a higher rate of dying from heart disease than white women do um, with when you look at diabetes. Um, black people have a higher rate of, of death due to diabetic complications than white people do. Um, high rates of high blood pressure within the community as well. Um, so those are some of the concerns when you when you're looking at chronic diseases. And then when you look at things like cancer, unfortunately, when we look at things like breast cancer, black women have a higher rate 
of uh, death from breast cancer. Um, so we tend to, when our breast cancer is diagnosed, it tends to be diagnosed at a later stage, um, unfortunately. So we look at issues like that that are, are present and they're well known. Also with cervical cancer, we're also at a higher, more likely to die of cervical cancer than white women are. And we have access to pap smears, you know, well, we would like to believe we have access to pap smears just as much as they do. And I think the rates of pap smears in black um, in the black uh, community is at this point almost fairly similar to the rates of pap smears in the white community. But for some reason, we're still dying at higher rates. So those are things that are that we really have to look at and figure out why. And, and there are some things that we have already identified as to why those those um, issues are happening. One is one of the one of the problems is our you know could be access to care in certain communities, lower access, and those communities may just tend to have higher uh, amounts of black people in them. So we look at things like that, and then we look at implicit biases with providers themselves, and just not providing as quality as high quality care for black women as white women are receiving or um, withholding some higher um, higher quality treatments or, you know, they've, you know, research has shown that black women tend to receive some of the older, <laughs> more outdated treatments, whereas uh, white women may receive the newer things, some of the newer uh, treatments that they're, that are out. Um, so more effective treatments. So you have to look at, certain factors like that as well. But there's so many, so many, so many factors that have to be addressed um, in order to try to decrease the disparities that exist in healthcare in Black women. Well, that's something you said was quite shocking because I just, I just assumed that part of the problem was that we're not getting screened. But you, you just mentioned that for example, cervical cancer, we are getting pap smears, but we're still dying at a disproportionate rate. That's quite shocking to me. Exactly. Um, so, so, in, you know, it could be that maybe the screenings are not being pushed for as, as early as they should be, you know, um, yes. or they're missing years of going past and people are not getting the screenings as often as they're supposed to be. Um, there's just a variety of potential uh, factors that can be um, the cause of some of these uh, disparities. Um, but they all need to be, we really need to be looking into these things and trying to figure out ways we can best address them. So we're going to, it's not one, there's no one solution to this. There's going to be, we're definitely going to have to try to attack it at different angles because there are a number of, of uh, reasons why these things are happening. So. Now, you mentioned that, you know, you have a passion and you work primarily with, I guess, the underrepresented communities. Um, but I even find folks that may not fall into that category, Black women in particular, they don't know that they have to get cert certain screens or how often they should be getting screened or what ages they should be getting screened. So there's a huge, you know, issue with 
you know, I guess a knowledge gap from what I see too, and, and you may see it as well. Definitely there's a knowledge gap and that can be one of the reasons why um, screenings may not be uh, may not be happening when they should be or how often they should be. Um, so yeah, definitely a knowledge gap. And that's why I'm so passionate about health education because the more you talk to people, the more, you know, as I talk to my patients on a day-to-day basis, I realize how much knowledge is lacking, like in terms of health literacy, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of information that people don't know. Um, cause people aren't taking the time to make sure that people know these things. And sometimes, unfortunately people will see, may see a doctor for years and still not be told the, all of the information that they need to try to keep their, their health up to par. So. Exactly. Because I, I find, I found myself in that situation. Like you find out years later, I should have been doing something. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, I've been going to the doctor. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. No one ever said it. Exactly. Um, and, and that's where, that whole implicit bias comes in. And I think that is the reason for some of those issues. You know, um, just black women are not being cared for as much as a white woman may be cared for. And, um, and while providers may not realize that they're doing it, but it's happening. So it has to be addressed. Now you mentioned heart disease and strokes, diabetes, I read, and I want I want your opinion on this because it seems quite shocking. I, I read an article that quoted a recent study that basically said fifty percent of Black women are obese. Mm-hmm. Yep, about four and out was, of five okay. Black women are overweight or obese. Yep, that is really mind blowing, and it just blew me away. And I. I don't think we, as women, recognize that. Mm-hmm. And I remember discussing it with a friend of mine, and she said, I hope she doesn't kill me for this, but she said, um, well, I just think that's because they don't understand how our bodies are and that we, you know some of us are big boned. But is that really the, you know what I mean? Do we really just need, as women, to accept that some of us are overweight. I do believe that obviously we should push for uh, just being, just loving your body and, and, and things like that and not um, kind of making people feel bad about their weight or being overweight. But yes, I do believe that we do need to educate more on on what overweight is, what obesity is. Um, there are different body types. I will say that. And sometimes people, when you measure things like BMI, people will, it will look as though someone's obese, but you have to really look at the person and measure their waistline. And there's, there's a lot that goes into determining whether or not someone is overweight or obese rather than just BMI. Cause I will say body types matter. And, um, so, and, and, you know, we, in the black community, we probably have more, um, not, it depends, I guess, on the woman, but we have a lot of women that maybe a little bit have more weight on around their hips um, than their waist. And to be honest, that actually is not the, the, if you have more weight around your waist, 
than your hips, you actually at a higher risk of heart disease. If you carry more or on the lower half of your body, you're actually not at a, as high of a risk of um, heart disease. So there's okay. different ways you carry your weight too that do matter. Um, so I think it's important that we just educate everyone on on the the why we need to manage our weight. Like, what is the purpose of that? What is why um, why are we pushing for it so hard? Um, what happens when you are overweight or obese? What are the diseases that are associated with that? Like, how can we prevent these diseases? Unfortunately, I think a lot of people assume that you're destined to have these you know, high blood pressure or diabetes because your parents have it in your eye, yes. your grandfather and this and that. No, it's, you know, yes, it may run your family, but you don't actually have to ever have that chronic disease. There are ways to prevent it. So I think we just need to push that. Um, that message and that narrative that we have to in, improve our overall health through exercise and physical activity and to manage our weight. Um, so, yeah, I think that's definitely an important message that we need to spread within our community. Now, what kind of, generally speaking, we you touched on pap smears. What types of screening should we be looking to do? Mm-hmm. So, well, the first thing you think of, as you mentioned, pap smears and HPV testing. So at 21, and they are actually looking to change some of these guidelines. They haven't officially changed yet, but right now, for now, 21 to 65 are, okay. uh, is the recommended age for a pap smear. Um, HPV testing starts at 30. Um, and if you, pap smears are every, if you're only doing um Pap smears and no HPV testing, you would need to do that every three years. If you're doing it combined with HPV testing, it would be every five years. Um, oh, really? So, hmm. Yeah. So that's, those are the guidelines for now. Um, so that's one, obviously. We, and that's important that people are getting those as uh, recommended. And I, with COVID, obviously, a lot of people, I think, have that were supposed to be getting their pap smears this year did not. Um, so I just want to remind everyone that if you missed out on your pap smear because of the pandemic, you should make sh- make sure that you go ahead and get that taken care of. The purpose of the screening tests are to detect things early. So if you wait and skip them, then, you know, you could be missing something that is that will be key to um, kind of in- increasing your chances that you can overcome a cancer or a precancer or something like that. So. Uh, the other screening is breast cancer screening. Um, and for black women, especially, you should start that at 40. The reason why I say mm-hmm. that is because, as I said, when we're diagnosed with breast cancer, we tend to be diagnosed at a later stage. So 40, really for any every woman, but especially black women, 40 years old should be the time that you begin your uh, breast cancer screening. Um, some of the guidelines, depending on the organization that you're um that you're referring to some guy, some organizations say 50 and every two years starting at age 50. But like I said, black women should start at 40. Um, and then colon, colon, colorectal cancer screenings start at age 50. Um, and that's both, obviously both men and women. That's an important one as well. Um, that I think a lot of people want to skip because of the process. It's not, it's, it's, well, I mean, you brought that up and I always heard 50 and my 
recently my OBGYN told me for black people it's 45. And I- yeah, I have been seeing that as well. Yes. Black people, they're saying 45 once for the same reasons. They're being diagnosed later stages. So yes, 45, definitely by 50 though, for sure. Right. Um, you also have to make sure your insurance, because, you know, depending on your insurance, they may not want to cover it at 45. So Right. I mean, there's so, so many issues that we face. How can... What can we do? I guess because I'm I'm really into what can we do so we don't even have to deal with the disease like preventative measures. What can a woman do day to day so she doesn't have to find herself in, in a negative situation where she's fighting, you know, a disease? Yes, I think that's a great question. I think there are a number of things we can do. There are some things that unfortunately we have. um we won't really be able to change ourselves, but I think as a collective, we can push for change in, in terms of like implicit biases and things like that and discrimination and access to care. But the things that you can do as an individual would be making sure that you're getting all your recommended screenings. So checking to see with your when you have your annual exams. So make sure you're seeing your doctor annually, primary care doctor, at least once a year. Um, if you have some health issue, obviously you may need to see them more than that, but at least once a year and check with them. Am I due for any screenings? Don't just, I, I think one of the issues I see with, uh, people is that they kind of, and I get it. They, they expect the doctor to kind of do everything and guide them and they just wait for them to tell them what to do but you have to take some responsibility for your own health because no one is going to care for you the way you're going to care for yourself. So ask your doctor, am I due for any screenings? What am I missing? What haven't, what hasn't been done yet? Um, and if you know you're due for something, ask for it. You know what? I haven't had a mammogram and I'm due for that. Um, I would like to have my mammogram done. So that's one thing I would say, just being your own advocate and asking for your screenings going to see your doctor at least once a year, um, taking your medication. If you're prescribed medication, then I would take your medication. And I know people are saying, well, a lot of, even my patients will say, I, what can I do to get off? It's, there's no guarantee that you'll be able to get off. There may be a chance depending on what this medication is for. And it depends on how much effort you put in to get off your medicine as well. So I think people just automatically don't want to take anything but unfortunately, at this at, at this at this moment, you may have to until you get to a place where maybe you can back off of it. Maybe you can decrease the dose or even maybe possibly can come off. There's no guarantee for that, though. Um, so if, for example, high blood pressure, if you're on blood pressure medicine, I suggest that you take it and take the other steps, which are lifestyle measures to try to get your blood pressure down, which would be decreased amount of sodium in your diet. Um, eat a more heart healthy diet. So a lot of lean meats, um, more water, don't smoke, decrease your alcohol intake, um, whole grains, um, healthy oils. These are all things that you can do on your end. And that will help you get to a place where you, where you may be able to lose weight and increase your activity. All those things may help your blood pressure to come down. And depending on how bad your blood pressure is, it's possible you could come off of your medicine. Maybe. That's not a guarantee, though. You may need it. So um, I would say that just making sure you're adjusting your lifestyle 
to try to improve your health overall. You can't depend on medicine forever to do everything for you. You can't depend on your doctor to do everything for you. They can only do so much. So you have to do your part. And then I would say, just like as I brought up, you know, being your own advocate, I'll say that again, like um, be your own advocate. If you feel like something is wrong, if you don't like your doctor, you don't feel like they're treating you right, then go and find another doctor you think will treat you better. Um, don't feel like you're stuck with this one doctor that you have. You have options. There are other people out there. Try to find someone else that you think would be better for you. So those are, yeah, those are some of the things that we can And do. you touched, a, I think, a big thing, like just lifestyle choices. Like even before you get on the meds, ladies, you know, you got to exercise, be active, try to eat healthier. Like you said, whole food. So you don't end up on blood pressure. Exactly. exactly. Another big issue too, I think that affects us and I'd like to get your thoughts. It, mental health, like the stress, mm-hmm. you, you know, what are your thoughts about that and, and how black women can, I mean, obviously there's always been a push that therapy isn't a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're crazy, blah, blah, blah. But I still think there is a lot of resistance in our community. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm seeing some improvements with that. I think more people are starting to kind of be open to hearing about therapy and learning about it and even trying it. But there is still some resistance. And I'd like to mention that stress does affect your overall health. So it does have a negative effect on health. Um, There's even even been research that has showed even it can even affect your genetics. So like Mm -hmm. even your DNA, stress can affect that. So the stress that your grandmother had can have an effect on you, <laughs> um, you know, through your DNA. Oh, wow. So um, it's, it's very important that we try to address our stress levels, try to manage our stress as best as we can. One is obviously therapy is a great way to try to tap into some of your issues, any potential childhood traumas, whatever, um, And if you have issues with anxiety, depression, whatever, even if you don't have those things, just helping you to kind of stay on track, keeping your mental health um, as uh, up to par as possible. That's a good reason for you to to consider seeing a therapist or a counselor. Um, In addition, finding ways to to practice self-care and everyone does that differently, I think. For some people, it may be a combination of things like prayer, meditation, exercise. For me, the gym is very much therapy for me. Lifting weights, mm-hmm. things like that help me. Going for a run outside is also good for me. But um, everyone, I think, um, practices self-care in a different way. Um, it could be yoga for you. It could be just kind of just sitting at home and reading a book by yourself and just just chilling out, journaling. Those are, you know, those are some things that you can do in order to practice self-care. It's just basically about taking, taking the time to um, just take care of yourself and kind of stepping away from fast paced um, life that we live on a day-to-day basis and just kind of 
you know, and it may be even spending time with friends for some people that could be self-care as well, but just taking that time for yourself. And I mean, we can't continue to just overextend ourselves and use up all our energy on everyone else and not take the time to um, use some of that energy on just kind of keeping ourselves together. So. And I think black women, we carry such burdens, real imagined, but you know, we got the kids and, mm-hmm. and you know, racism, all of these things we deal with on a daily basis. And I think that just, it's just extra, it causes extra stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was talking about that funny today with a friend of mine, because we both have been super stressed out late, as of late. And she said, well, I think we might be addicted to worrying. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but <laughs> point, you know, maybe that's something culturally that we've, been kind of so to speak to to be worriers to be you know stressed out but ultimately that affects not only our mental health but our physical as well so we we all have to we got to do better um it's just a lot and another thing i i was interested in talking to you about that i think people kind of it was a big topic when I was younger, like in my twenties, but as I get older, I don't, I don't know that women really talk much about it, but I still think it's important, but sexually transmitted diseases and how they have mm-hmm. women too. Um, so I would say, so, I mean, one, you would think of HIV. I've, worked a lot in that field, actually managed an HIV program when I was in DC. So we, you know, we do see really the highest rate is in black men who have sex with men, but black women, there's, I mean, are up next after that, heterosexual black women, um, high rate of HIV infection. Um, So I think as black women, we just really have to learn how to protect ourselves better. And I mean, I think for a number of reasons, we end up, you know, being fallen victim to sexually transmitted diseases. Um, One would be, you know, potentially undercover black men who are Mm -hmm. with both men and women unprotected. Mm -hmm. And um, a woman may not be aware of that. And then they end up getting infected that way. Um, Or just, feeling like they can't ask their partner to use a condom that I think that's an issue. A lot of times, um, for whatever reason, they just feel like really can't do that or the person refuses and they just kind of go along with it. Um, so yeah, that definitely is still an issue more so for the younger population. However, we even see, um, older adults coming, um, coming up with HIV, newly diagnosed HIV, infections as well. Yeah. So it's not just the younger people, but it, we see higher rates in the younger population for sure. So yeah, it's definitely an important topic that we can't ignore. So that, and that kind of goes back to too, just being an advocate for yourself, not only with your doctors, but your sexual partners, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they're not willing to 
wear a condom or, or whatever, then we have to learn to be assertive and just say no, you know, not mm-hmm. put but I think a lot of us, even to this day, don't think, well, you know, you hear, well, he didn't look like he had anything or she didn't look like mm-hmm. she had anything, or, yeah. or whatever, but yeah. we just don't think it's going to happen to us. Um, but we need to be Absolutely. aware. Said there are some down low guys and different things out there that mm-hmm. may not be truthful about their status. Oh, I was just going to mention as well. I think that's why health education is so important. I see, you know, depending on what area of the country you're in right now, I'm in the South and, you know, sex education is not something that they want in the schools out here. Whereas, you know, I'm originally from the North. So that was, we learned about sex, you know, from starting in middle, starting in middle, middle school. Um, Here is not the same they don't allow sex education to be taught in schools. Um, and it shows, <laughs> uh, it really shows when you talk to some of the younger people. I mean, I work, you know, in the health department. So I see a lot of STDs popping up or STI, sexually transmitted infections, popping up in the younger people who are completely clueless almost to how you even get some of these infections. It's amazing because they have not really been educated on these things. So that, you know, that goes to show that health education is important and not, it's not only for people over a certain age, it's for teenagers, obviously, it's for kids, it's for everyone. So I wanted to ask you if you know much about this, but it is something that disproportionately affects black women that I am fortunate enough, I guess, that I haven't had to deal with it, but I know a lot of women that have fibroids. What can we do, doctor? <laughs> like, <laughs> are there things we can do to prevent? So I admit I'm not a fibroid expert, <laughs> so um, I may not have much to give to this topic. And it's not, you know, that's not a big. It's not really my specialty at all. Um, but did you have a specific question about? Well, I, I was just wondering, like, if you had any thoughts of why it disproportionately affects black women. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever heard of a white woman that I know of that has dealt with fibroids. But so, I mean, that's a good that's I think that's a great question. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why that is. That, yeah, that would be interesting to just kind of do a little reading on to try to figure out what the thoughts are behind that. Cause I agree with you. I feel like it's definitely something you tend to see with black women more so than white women. And I'm, I'm actually not sure why. So I don't know that there is a clear reason Mm -hmm. it affects us, but it's gotta be something. And it's just, um, Mm -hmm. that's another thing. Like if you're, why it's important, I guess, to get your screens and to see your doctor a year, you can catch it. No, absolutely. Exactly. Um, definitely important. That's why you should be getting screened appropriately and seeing your OBGYN, not just when it's time for your pap smear. Um, right. Because that can affect your fertility down the line, right? Um, we see issues with Black women and fertility. Um 
So, you know, those are one of the reasons why you should be following up with someone more regularly um, to prevent issues down the line. What can folks do in the medical profession or or anybody maybe that's just interested? How how can how can we help black women just get the information? Because I just like, how do we make sure the information is out there so that they know, okay, I need to go to the doctor when, you know, at least see my primary care physician once a year. I need to make sure I'm getting my pap smears. If, if it's time, I need to get my mammogram. I just feel like that you think it's there that people know this, but a lot of them don't. Mm-hmm. I think what we can do is continue to be a voice for our community by doing these types of things, podcasts and using social media to the best of our ability to spread the message. I think there's no such thing as too many voices. Um, Just everyone can uh, spread the message and educate. There's not one person that needs to be doing the job. Um, So yeah, I think just utilizing social media platforms as much as possible. Um, From a provider standpoint, um, it's definitely our responsibility to be talking to our patients and educating them as much as we can. Um, Not just assuming that they know things already and and, or giving up on them. I think a lot of providers may just sometimes you get frustrated when patients don't listen or they just kind of do their own own thing when you're recommending things to them. And I get it because I get frustrated with my patients sometimes as well. But I think it's important that we continue to educate them and try to um, provide them with all of the information that they need to try to make the best decisions possible for their health. So, yeah, I would just say continue just getting the message out. We all need to take take up that responsibility, especially if this is something that we like. We like to educate and talk about health and wellness. Then we just need to do that. Talk about it in every type of um, on every type of platform that we can just continue to educate and and discuss it. Now, I want to ask you this before we close. I want to make sure I captured everything. Is there anything that I didn't ask you today that you wanted to share? Um, There was one point I was going to make about, and this probably applies more so to, for example, maternal mortality rates with black women Um, is that irrespective of income and education, educational level, um, Black women still have higher maternal mortality rates than white women. And, you know, this is true with some other issues as well, some other disparities in health. So it's not always, it's easy to say, well, maybe, you know, because of their lower income or the education, blah, blah, blah. And that's not always the case. So obviously in situations like that, then we have to look at, okay, so what are the other reasons? Why is this happening to them at a higher rate? If it's not because they're low education or because they don't have any money and they don't have good insurance. So for the people that have all those things, why why are they still have seeing higher rates of mortality? Um, so we really have to, and that's where those other issues come in, like implicit biases and discrimination and just systemic racism and all those types of things come into play. We have to address those as well. Yeah, I I'm, I remember, I think I read an article recently about Serena Williams, her experience, and just some others 
uh, black women that had lost their lives in, in childbirth and mm-hmm. gave me the chills because, I mean, my daughter's nine now, but <laughs> looking back to when I had her, I, tr- I trusted my doctors. I just did mm-hmm. what I did. And it never, I never thought at that time to research and see what am I supposed to be asking? What am I supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Scared me, you know, because as a black woman, I, I, I'm educated. I had insurance, you know, <laughs> like, but mm-hmm. I myself in a situation where I, I could have left childbirth in a body bag, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's just very, it's very scary. And um, I guess that goes back to just really, you got to research and find the information. Um make sure you're equipped with all the information. It doesn't just because you have a doctor doesn't mean that he or she's going to provide you with everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be an advocate for yourself, have an advocate there with you during childbirth, you know, absolutely. Because and that's the only way we're going to save lives and get things to change is like we, we, like you said, you just have to be, you got to be an advocate for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely a scary situation. You know, you expect to be taken care of. You know, you go to you have a doctor, you're pregnant, you you expect to be taken care of. You certainly don't expect to end up losing your life. You know, I mean, that just seems like it shouldn't happen. Right. In the, in the United States of America, we just feel like right. something like that just shouldn't happen. Um, well, and I think that's the over, that's the whole theme, I think, is we trust our doctors. If Dr. Johnson says, I don't need any more tests, then I'm just going to go with what Dr. Mm-hmm. Says, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to have us get a second or a third opinion. We can't just rest on what this one doctor said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I see a lot of black women that have and men that have done that, you know, well, my doctor said this, so I'm good. But we don't take it any further. We don't advocate. You know, we don't get more tests. We're not feeling well. They're telling you nothing's wrong, but you're still not feeling well, you know. And then a year later, you find out you have cancer, you know. So it's just about pushing, pushing, advocating, advocating for yourself or, or your loved one you know, that may not be advocating for themselves. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you so much, Dr. Calder. This was an awesome conversation. I hope it helps loads and lots of women. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Um, We need more of these conversations as much as possible. You know, we just need to be able to reach as many women, Black women as possible. So they're aware of these things. Um. Absolutely. Now, one thing I just thought of, we didn't talk about because, but it does affect us. Mm-hmm. COVID. Mm-hmm. What should we be doing, Doc? Is there anything we can do to like preventative measure? I mean, granted the, the vaccine is now rolling out, mm-hmm. but until it, we can all get it, mm-hmm. what, we be doing to protect ourselves? 
So the same things we've pretty much been preaching all this time, the social distancing, washing your hands, not touching your face. Um, also, if you're sick, staying away from people, staying away from sick people. These are all things you can do, wear your mask. And now CDC um, is showing that, well, is kind of pushing for double masking now. Uh, research has shown that double masking decreases the transmission rates or, um, well, decreases the likelihood that you'll be passing the virus to anyone and that you'll, or that someone will be passing it to you if you're double masked. So that's one of the big pushes right now that the CDC is doing is for double masking. And then I'll touch on vaccinations. I know, um, a lot of people in our community are, and I think not just our community, but everyone I think is, a little hesitant on being vaccinated. And I understand, I get it, especially within our community. I understand the hesitancy, but I just want to kind of just inform people that from what we know from the research um, that has been done thus far on the vaccines that we are using currently in the United States, the risk of, what could potentially happen if you were to get COVID is a lot higher. Um, like the, what the the benefit of the vaccine is a lot higher than the risk of the symptoms, the side effects, I would say, from the vaccine. So that's, I think, something, information we really need to push. Um, it's everyone's individual choice whether or not they want to get vaccinated. Um, I will never try to Tell someone that if they don't get it, you're stupid or, well, you know, there are reasons why I think people should. If you know you're at a higher risk for having severe COVID complications, if you were to catch it, um, then the vaccine probably is a good option for you. Or if um, if you're around a lot of people that could potentially make you ill, you just have a high, you have a job where you're just around a lot of people. Maybe, you know, the vaccination may be a good option for you. So you just have to think of things like that. Um, and just do your own research, read about the vaccine, take the time to kind of read some information. Cause I think there's a lot of misinformation about it or just lack of information. I mean, there's a lot of information, a lot of questions that people have had for me and then once I answer them, it's almost like it kind of makes them feel a lot better about potentially getting vaccinated. They just didn't have the, the right info or any info at all. So just taking that time and, uh, to read about it. Don't just shut it down and say, oh, no, I'm definitely not getting that. Just take some time to read about it and see and then go from there and see if that's if you think that vaccination is a good option for you. Um, I would probably say it's a good option for a lot of people. Um, but once again, it's an individual decision. You have to make that decision for yourself. But just consider, like I said, the risk of getting COVID and what could potentially happen. Although, yes, there's lower, there's a much higher rate of people who have, you know, get COVID and then get better and they're fine. But then there's also a large percentage that, um, well, not I wouldn't say a large, but there's also a percentage of people um, that either, yes, there's a small amount that die, but they still die. There's still people that die from it, but not even those, I don't even really pay as much attention to the mortality because people will, um, I think kind of cling to that and say, well, oh, the mortality rate is so low, but what about the people who don't die and just end up in ICUs for months and months at a time? 
that's a good percentage of people, higher than the amount of people that die. So would you rather be in ICU for months and months and all these complications and you were intubated and just all types of nonsense? That's going to definitely be a huge um um, that would, you know, financially even just you being in the hospital for days and days, that's, you know, that's gonna, that's gonna be very difficult for you financially. Um, and then health wise, it just creates a lot of issues that are unnecessary. So, you know, if you can potentially avoid that, why not? Right. Right. So, um, and then even residual symptoms after COVID, there's a lot of people called long haulers that after they get COVID in, recover from it, they still have all these residual problems from it. So you have to think about that. Yes, everyone does not die, but there are a lot of people that suffer with it or still have problems from it after they've already recovered. So just consider that as well. All right. There you have it. Thank you so much, Dr. Calder. This was an awesome conversation. I hope it helps loads and lots of women. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Um, We need more of these conversations as much as possible. You know, we just need to be able to reach as many women, black women as possible. So they're aware of these things. Um, Absolutely. So if if people want to learn more about you or contact you, maybe they want to come see you, uh, your practice. How can they learn more about you, Dr. Calder? Okay, so on Instagram, my Instagram name is at fitdocofficial. Um, that is the same on, although I'm not really on Twitter much, but it's my Twitter handle as well. Uh, you, I have a website, and that's fitdocofficial.com. Um, and you can find contact information on there, my email address and all that stuff, and ways to contact me and see some of some of the uh, media work I've done. Um, so those are pretty much the primary ways to find me. And then I'm also, I have a Facebook page, which is fit doc as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Calder. I got to bring you back on again. So we could chat another time about maybe, sure. a topic. <laughs> but I so appreciate you. Thank, thank you for having me. Well, there you have it. Go hard chicks. Another great episode this time with Dr. Calder. Go hard chicks. If you have episode ideas or if you know of an expert that you want me to interview and bring on as a guest for the podcast, please contact me directly at crystal at gohardchick.com. I look forward to hearing from all of you and all of your fabulous guest ideas and show ideas. In addition, as I asked before, please leave a rating and review. Doing so really helps the podcast grow. Have an awesome week, go hard chicks. Take care.